Thanks for listening to the podcast of First Alliance Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. For more information about our church or to watch a video recording of today's message, visit us online at facws.org. Please turn in your scriptures this morning to Luke 6. Luke 6. Some of you are old enough to remember a time when what we're experiencing now in the United States happened. And I don't just mean the violence and the protesting, but also we sent a rocket into space with unprecedented accuracy and the ability to land the bottom of that rocket on a platform in the ocean without anybody being on the boat or on the rocket. We are at a confluence of a time of great disaster, and yet at the same time, what seems to be a a time of great exploration and discovery and technological innovation. And we have a presidential election coming up. There's a lot happening. Just this morning on my Facebook feed, there were videos from the events of even last night. In some cases, police brutality of an unspeakable and decidedly un-American and unconstitutional and ungodly nature. On the other hand, destruction and rioting, and not from a uniform crowd either, not just people that live in urban areas or black people, but white people coming from the suburbs to join in or even instigate to further, to come over the top and do things that ought not to be done. This is a tumultuous day, and add to that this Tinder, this box that we're in of 30, 25% unemployment, of a disease which none of us can agree on how to handle or what to do. And we might wonder, what do we do in these days? I can tell you what Christ did in his days. Look at verse 12 of Luke chapter 6. It says, In these days he went to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called to his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, And Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. 
Do you see what Jesus did? It's just two things. And these two things were sufficient to begin a change that would transform the entire world. They would create a new thing that had never yet existed called the Church of Jesus Christ, which itself would become the greatest force for good the world has ever seen because it is the very body of Christ in the world. The first thing that he did was pray. Are you praying right now? When you watch the news, whatever your reaction, your frustrations, your anger, your maybe joy, Maybe you can't put words to the emotion. Maybe you, like me, feel insufficient for the moment. How do I respond? You pray. In the Old Testament times, we would read in the prophets, set watchmen on the wall who will cry out to the Lord day and night on behalf of Israel. Jesus himself was God's Son made flesh, filled with the Spirit at the baptism, and yet what does he do before he chooses his disciples? He goes to the Father all night long until it was day. And that's no easy thing then. There was not easy access to light. You didn't have electricity. You couldn't turn on the lights and just keep them on all night to keep you awake. You had to go out under the stars, under the moon, where there might be beasts or people who would attack you at night. There was no guarantee of safety when Jesus would rise and go into the wilderness to pray. He would do so alone without people to protect him. He hadn't even called his disciples yet, so they couldn't be with him. And when he did have them with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did they do? They fell asleep that night when he would be arrested and attacked and destroyed. He hungered so much for the wisdom and the righteousness and the presence of God that when he was at times of need, and even when he wasn't at times of need, just daily, what did he do? He prayed. When you read the news, when you see the videos, when you get on your social media feed, when you disagree with people, when you feel the burn within your soul of have I done wrong? Have I participated in injustice that has led to this moment? What do I need to do or be different than I have done or have been? You need to pray. You need to go to God. If it was good enough for Jesus, are we better than our Lord? No. We need him. So the first thing that he did was pray, and the second thing that he did, which is where I'll spend most of my time this morning, is he made disciples. He established Christian discipleship as the way of healing the world. He started the church. 
not the church institutional, not this building, which we love this building. We got to see it yesterday. Some folks walked through and saw the murals and the new furniture, and we got to sing beside it yesterday as we used our technology and were able to plug into the wall. And even right now, you can't hear it, but right outside our doors, somebody's bouncing a basketball and shooting hoops, and every time I've driven by, somebody's been out there. Great, we have a space, but that's not what Jesus made. Jesus didn't make a space, he made a people. That was his answer for what ails the world. Discipleship. He called to himself 12 men from all different walks of life. I've already touched on this in other sermons. You had a tax collector here. You had a zealot there, a kind of a political independence fighter over there. Uh, you, you had fishermen, common businessmen, just working their blue-collar trade to put food on the table. And he gathered them to himself, and he, he called them apostles, his messengers, those that would carry forth his truth into the world when he was gone and would create the church because they were the church already. What do I mean when I say what I'm about to say? I want you to think about these words. As you watch the news and you, and you pray, you need to recognize that in this world, with all of the conflict, with all of the questions, with all of the wonder, what is going to happen, what is happening, what do I do? Jesus provided but one human pathway for those solutions. And it was not governments and political parties, and it was not agencies, it was not a particular kind of violence. It was his body, the church. It was disciples who would make disciples, who would transform the world. So I need to ask you this morning, are you a disciple of Jesus? And then we need to talk about what that means just by looking at this list. You see, when I was growing up as a, as a young Christian boy, it was very popular in evangelical Christianity in those days and in many decades prior to that and still to this day in many circles for Christianity to be fundamentally defined by a decision to accept Jesus into your heart. It was saying, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me. And we use that terminology. It's not a wrong terminology, but it doesn't cover or convey the full truth of our faith. When Jesus called his disciples to himself, what did he say? He didn't say, let me come into your heart. He said, Follow me. Do what I do. Become who I am. Be a disciple. By stopping with the words, come into my heart, we're basically saying, Lord, here's my life. Come into it in your, you know, add to my life. Be, be an additional part of my life sufficient to save me and bring me into heaven such as I am. Now, that's not what the people who came up with that phrase meant. The people who came up with that phrase meant, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and transform it completely into you, 
mold me into your image, but what it became in our nomenclature and in our practice, our way of expressing it became so poor, so insufficient, a checkbox. Lord Jesus, come into my heart, became, are you saved? As if that was all that mattered in the Christian faith was this fundamental um, hoop to jump. Just cross over that bridge. When Jesus said, follow me, he said, I'm going to change you top to bottom. You are going to follow me. Your life is going to be radically transformed. It wasn't just, I'm going to enter into your heart. It was, I'm going to enter into your heart in such a way like a fish hook that it drags you along into my life, into me. We are part of Christ as his church. We are his body. We're transformed wholly and completely. Everything that we are has to become his and turn into the image of him, however gradually. To say, Jesus, come into my heart, to say, I will follow Jesus, to say, I'm a Christian, is nothing less than saying, I will lay down my life in pursuit of Christ. I will die for him. Paul is clear throughout scriptures. All that he writes in the New Testament deals with this. Our lives are hidden with Christ and we have died with him so that we may live for him. Jesus in John 15 in his upper room discourse where he's laying out the directions for his disciples and how they are to live before he does what? He prays. That's how it ends. He builds his disciples and then he prays. I told you there's only two things you need to know. Before he prays, he lays out to his disciples in John 15, and you can turn there or just listen to me as I turn there right now. He says, Greater love has no man but that he lay his life down for his friends. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And you are my friends if you do what I have commanded you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Go to that list in Luke 6, and you will see the true cost of discipleship. Let me just read the names and what happened to these brothers. We set aside Judas, and we're going to come back to Judas because he's important. Peter and Paul were both martyred, most people assume, in Rome, although there's some possibility that Paul went even further into Spain before he was murdered. Paul, from tradition, we understood, was beheaded, and Peter was crucified, but because he did not consider equality with Jesus something to be grasped, he asked that they crucify him upside down. Andrew was also said to be crucified after he went into Central Asia and brought gospel, the gospel into Asia Minor and Turkey. 
Thomas, tradition says, went into Syria, maybe even as far as India, before he was pierced through, tradition says, by soldiers with a spear. Philip seems to have gone to North Africa, and he was put to death by a Roman proconsul. Matthew, the tax collector, we don't have much information about him from any secular sources or tradition, but most people believe that he was martyred, perhaps stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew went all over, perhaps to India with Thomas, some traditions say, others to what would be modern-day Armenia, maybe Ethiopia, maybe Arabia. He seems to have been in tradition one of the farthest flung and most traveled of all the apostles. And each of those different accounts has a different way of him dying, but this we believe, he too died a martyr's death. James, the son of Alphaeus, is reported by Josephus to having received the punishment that Stephen in the book of Acts would have. He would be stoned to death. Simon the Zealot, some say while he was ministering in Persia, he was killed because he would refuse to bow to the sun god. Matthias, who would replace Judas in the book of Acts. Tradition says that he went to Andrew and ministered alongside him before being killed by being burned alive. The only one of these leaders that seemed to die what we would call a natural death would be John who would go on to write the book of Revelation. But even he had been persecuted. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to lay aside everything that you cling to as being yours, even your very life, for the cause of him. This is no small thing. To be the church is not just to be a people in a space. We've learned that the hard way. If COVID taught us anything, it's that this room is not the church. To be the church is not just to be a group of people who have just jumped that hoop and can say, I have Jesus in my heart. Because words are cheap. To be a disciple of Jesus is to practice what Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call during World War II, before he would be martyred for the faith by the Nazis, costly grace. It is grace which we receive that is free, which we cannot earn, but it then costs us our lives. That's costly grace. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? What do you cling to in your life that you are unwilling to lay down for your brothers and sisters? What do you hold fast that you're unwilling to lay before Jesus and say, take this, it's not mine, but it's yours? One of the things that I have found in my life that I have needed to sacrifice or to lay aside, and I've talked about it from this very space in the past, is narratives that I have brought into my life, my way of controlling how I perceive the world 
such that I can make sense of it and even control my world. And a lot of those narratives are informed by our media, by what we see on the television or in social media or online, by what we hear from politicians. Maybe it's how we were raised. We have these narratives that inform us, that say that these people are good and those people are bad. And if we would just do this thing, whatever it might be, if, if we would just be better Americans or more constitutional or vote Republican or vote Democratic, if we would just, to mention one that is on the news lately and ungodly, if we would just protect the white race, which is one that I have been told, not by my parents, but by others, then somehow our lives will be good. Racism is a narrative that you might have in your life. You might have other narratives as well. If only so-and-so were in charge of my government, my life would be better or perfect. Whatever the narrative, if it is not discipleship to Christ is the meaning of my life, then it is idolatry. If your narrative is, I'm going to live a good life and retire for 20 years, and that will make me happy and contented and joyful, and then when I die, I'll meet Jesus, and everything will be golden and sunny and fine, you have been lied to, my friend. Not a single one of the names that I mentioned even knew what the word retirement meant. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ means even when you retire from your job, your life, your life's work just gets to expand even more fully into competent discipleship of Jesus Christ until one day we breathe the last with this body and we fill our lungs with heavenly air in the very next breath. Discipleship is from the moment we say, yes, Lord, to the moment we close our eyes for the last time. And then discipleship becomes an eternal celebration of the one that we worship. The news forces us to self-analyze because the news exposes our narratives. If you watch the news and you think, well, if, if things were just better, then life would be good. If, if, if the cops were just trained better, if the government was just right, then everybody would get along. Or if you watch the news and you see the protesters, some of whom become rioters, some of those become looters, and you think, aha, I knew it, those people are bad and they are wicked. That is a narrative from the pit of hell. Those people are bad. We are bad. I am bad. Sin has destroyed my heart the same as it has anybody. And the only solution for anybody that you would ever be angry at in your life is Christ and Him crucified, the same as it is for you and for me. Think about the news and ask yourself, how would a narrative of discipleship, how would my life story fitting in with Jesus change the way that I view the news and the way that I act the next time something like this happens?
I can tell you this. What if the narrative of the police who had been around that officer who choked George Floyd to death had had love in their heart for that man that was sufficient to intervene? Would there be riots or protesting last night or the night before or the night before that? Would George Floyd have had to die while for nine minutes a man kept his knee to his neck on the ground? If even one person said, I am willing to die for George because my life is hidden in Christ, we wouldn't be here. That's the gospel. The gospel leads us to put ourselves at risk for other people to bless them and to keep them, to bring them into the light of His glorious grace. The gospel works itself out differently in everybody's life. You don't have to go become an on-the-street, justice-oriented kind of fighter who holds signs and protests, but you do have to stop and challenge your narratives and the narratives of others who claim to be Christians in order not to point them over to the left or become Democrats or become socialists or Marxists or any of that kind of stuff, but to become truly Christian. Here's the question that I would ask if you rewatch that video, that agonizing nine minute video. Would you die for George? Now, here's an even harder question because Jesus did this too. Would you die for that officer? Would you lay down your life not just for the one that looked innocent? but for the one who was clearly doing evil, too. In the coming days, you will have the opportunity to respond in your life to people around you and on social media, to write things, to think things, to pursue some sort of activism, to think politically, to write to your leaders, to vote in the coming months. But don't let any of those potential activities distract you from what is most important, that we lay down our lives for others. Whatever that might be in your life and in mine, that's our calling if we say that we are disciples. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, where I have any narrative in my life that has corrupted the story that you have given me in your word, where we have any narrative in our lives as a church that has corrupted or distorted your word, or taken away from your name and your glory in the church, would you bring us to our knees in repentance? Where we have trusted in idols, would you show us our idolatry? Where we have become racists, 
would you draw us to our knees in recognition of your glorious creation and your love for a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Would you give us the burning heart of your first disciples who went into Asia and went into Africa and went into Europe and went all around Arabia and who knows where else, freely giving the gift even unto the cost of their own lives to people that did not look like them, did not share their political understandings, did not vote for the rulers they might have wanted in as much as any of them could have even voted. God, where we cling to our traditions that are not you and not from you, where we carry our identities that are not Christ in him crucified, would you destroy them in our lives? Lord, craft us into your disciples. This is our only hope, both for our lives, but also for all mankind. For absent the church, the gospel does not go forth, and absent the gospel, there is no hope. You are our hope. Lord Jesus, with this situation, would you call to utmost repentance the officer who committed this deed and the others who stood idly by and allowed it to happen? Lord, as painful as it is for me to think about in my human flesh, would the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, shed on the cross be sufficient even for him? And Lord, would that shed blood be sufficient for us too? As we have our wickedness exposed, as we reflect, as we dig deeper than may ever be comfortable. In doing so, Lord, would you craft within us a heart that burns for your justice. Lord, not the man-made justice of this or that party or politician. Your justice above all. For you are the just judge. We love you, Lord God. And this we pray in your most holy and righteous and perfect name. Claiming the blood of Jesus as sufficient for our sins and the sins of all who call on you. In your name we pray. Amen.